You are listening to National Security Law Today. I'm Elisa Poteet, and welcome to National Security Law Today, the podcast of the ABA's Standing Committee on Law and National Security. This week, we pivot slightly from our exclusive focus on generative AI to a few related issues. First, on August 9th, 2023, President Biden issued an executive order dealing with outbound investments to what were described in the order as countries of concern. And the executive order limited something known as sensitive technologies. Among these technologies, not surprisingly, was artificial intelligence. So I thought it was time we asked someone with serious experience in international trade to come in and to talk to us about the contours and the likely impact of this EO. So once again, we invited Brian Egan, a partner at the law firm of Skadden Arp Slate, who has served as general counsel to the Treasury Department the National Security Council and the Department of State, basically the perfect person. Brian, good to have you. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me, Elisa. Let's cut to the chase here. This came up. I don't know how many people were expecting this. I know it had been bantied around. Everybody keeps talking about a reverse CFIUS process. Let's start with the basics. The countries of concern are obviously interesting. Can you talk about which countries were identified in the annex to this executive order and why we don't see some other countries like North Korea and Russia? They are not even mentioned. Yeah, that's right. The annex to the executive order lists basically one country of concern, which is China, including Hong Kong and Macau. No Russia, no Iran, no North Korea. And I think you're right, Elisa, the reason that the executive order is limited to China is because Russia and other countries are already subject to sanctions that prohibit investment by U.S. persons much more broadly. If you're a U.S. person, you can't invest in a company in Iran, basically full stop. And this limited targeted order is going against China, where we basically have no similar sanctions in place today. Okay, so it is effectively a a sanctions order. Let's talk about, we're talking about something called, I don't know what what sensitive technologies, they they talk a little bit about these, but what kinds of investments would be covered? And if you could give us sort of a, a hypothetical, so I think the listeners can better picture what we're talking about here if they're unfamiliar. Yeah, so the order and the accompanying advance notice of proposed rulemaking that was issued by Treasury on the same day kind of go out of their way to make it clear that this is intended to be very narrow. So with respect to the technology investments covered, it is only in what the order calls covered national security technologies and products, which is limited to sensitive technologies and products in three areas, semiconductors and microelectronics, quantum information technologies, and artificial intelligence sectors. So those three technology areas And even within those three areas, the order and Treasury's notice make clear that not all investments will be prohibited, but only investments that are critical for military or intelligence or surveillance or cyber-enabled capabilities of the Chinese government. So how that will be defined remains to be seen and will be fairly challenging, I imagine, but the intent is to be narrow even within those three areas of technologies in terms of the investments that would either require notification to the Treasury Department or would be outright prohibited under the new rules. We can talk a little bit about this, but I looked at the executive order, I think glanced over it twice. I didn't see an established process like we have in CFIUS though. Did I miss something there, Brian, or is it still rather (laughs) ill-defined? 
No, I don't think you missed anything. And I think your comment of a few minutes ago that this is like a sanctions regime is actually pretty on point. Unlike CFIUS, where there's a case-by-case review, the parties go to an interagency U.S. government committee, which reviews a transaction very carefully. This is intended, uh, to, according to the Treasury Department, to be a prohibition or reporting obligation on parties. You as a party are supposed to figure out whether you're subject to the new rules, which haven't come out yet. And if you're subject to the rules, you either need to report your transaction or you need to abide by any prohibitions. But there's no case-by-case review that's contemplated under this new program. There's always a basis for these things. And I think because we function inside the Beltway, I think it's always clear why these investments would be prohibited because it's not Yum! Brands China, which is basically Kentucky Fried Chicken stock that you may be buying. Apparently, they love Kentucky Fried Chicken in China. But there's a basis for the CEO that is described, I thought, pretty clearly. But again, for neophytes, it might not be apparent. Can you sort of set that out for us? Yeah, there there are basically two rationales that are given in the executive order itself by the president who issued the executive order. The first is a concern that there are limited barriers in China between the civilian commercial sector and the military intelligence defense sector, and that commercial entities even in China would be used by the Chinese government to obtain and achieve military dominance with respect to these three sets of technologies. So kind of a fusing of civilian and military capabilities in China motivates the concern on the China side. On the US side, the concern is that our investments, in addition to providing capital to China, which I think is not really what's driving this, provide what the executive order calls intangible benefits to the companies in which US investors invest. Things like management assistance, reputational benefits, and other things that go uh, hand in hand with saying, we have major U.S. investors who are key investors in our company. And so the executive order is in a targeted fashion, trying to limit the ability of U.S. investors to make these kind of strategic investments in Chinese technology companies, where those investments can have these potential intangible benefits. So I guess, you know, the point there is, you know, venture capital in the United States should not be funding what would be developed into a national security threat to the United States because the Chinese get money and they're able to develop some new technology that could become a menace. That's exactly right. And to the extent you're a skeptic and you say, well, China doesn't really need U.S. venture capital funding. They've got plenty of capital on their own. The order also says, yeah, but it's not just that. If you're funded by venture capital, you have the power of the U.S. venture capital industry or private equity industry behind you. And we see some problems with that independent of the capital itself. Yeah, well, we'll be talking with somebody who's an expert on the China economy here next week. But I think one thing that might be an interesting thought here is whether this would have the impact of directing greater investment into these technologies in the United States, if you're looking to make a profit off of things like quantum computing and this, you know, we're in a, I guess I'd call it an AI gold rush right now. <laughs> I'd always point out that the only person who ever made money off the gold rush was Levi Strauss, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The, it, it's going to be interesting what the kind of the side order effects of this regime are, including whether U.S. allies in Europe and and elsewhere will put similar measures in place, because I think that's definitely part of the U.S. strategy is to not be the only actor in this area. 
Okay, well, it seems to be going uh, well so far since we have new, you know, NATO inductees and the like. Whenever you see these executive orders, they always have some caveat language about notice and comment and we're going to consult with this or that. So is this thing in immediate effect or sort of how does this play out? The short answer is no, it's not an immediate effect. The order directs the Treasury Department to put in place a new regulatory program. Treasury has taken the first step in doing that. They've issued what's called a notice of proposed rulemaking that gives interested parties 45 days to comment. Treasury has literally raised, I think it's 83 questions for public comment in this notice of rulemaking on everything from what AI should mean under this framework to what transactions should be carved out to who should be a U.S. person that's covered. So if you're a glutton for punishment and you want to get involved, read the notice of proposed rulemaking provide comments to the Treasury Department. So I think it's probably, you know, three, four, five months before this program actually goes live. Okay, well, that's great. Thank you for the summary. So I think this is also means more business for U.S. law firms, right? <laughs> yeah, right. For better or worse, I think that's that's probably true. All right, well, thanks for talking to us about this tonight. We appreciate your time, Brian. Great to be with you, Lisa. All right, so we're going to move on now to other national security news. I mean, there's been a lot of it in the last couple of weeks, so we're just going to grab a few pieces here and there. In June of 2022, just four months after the war in Ukraine began, Yandex, which is basically Russia's answer to Google, was placed on the EU sanctions list because of its role in spreading Russian propaganda. The co-founder of Yandex is a guy named, I can't, I'm going to butcher this, so forgive me, but I think it's Arkady Volos. He stepped down after he was put on sanctions, but less than a week ago, Mr. Volos said publicly, this is a quote, Russia's invasion of Ukraine is barbaric and I am categorically against it. Volos moved the company to the Netherlands like some time ago, but the remaining Yandex in Russia was, of course, immediately staffed with Putin allies. As soon as Volos left, which is sort of an interesting clue, Reuters reported that the only reason that Russia didn't seize the company outright was because there was a fear at the time, which I think was in 2022 or so, that it would cause a further brain drain. Really? Do you think? I think so. And another other billionaire news, Russian billionaire Oleg Tinkoff has successfully battled UK sanctions. And one thing we've talked to Brian Egan about was that The sanctions regime doesn't really work unless you can actually work your way off of it. You might remember those conversations that we've had. The point is to bring people into compliance, not to subjugate them here and forever. Ole Tinkoff, another sort of big name in Russia, he called Moscow's elite, quote, cowards. Uh, And he said they were cowards because they refused to speak against Putin's invasion of Ukraine. He actually encouraged other wealthy Russians to leave Russia for the, quote, civilized world. Interesting. One has to wonder if Mr. Tinkov would have said this had he not acquired, I I think he has leukemia, sadly. But obviously, he's doing some deep thinking, which is always and, and everywhere a good thing. In other news, though, in an apparent effort to flex its regional muscle, Saudi Arabia has sent its first ever envoy. They're calling it an envoy to Palestinians, although I think it's an envoy to what they say is Palestine. While the U.S. continues to try to broker a deal to normalize relations between the kingdom and Israel. So that is something to watch if you are a national security watcher and you're interested in that region. Now, you may have heard of Where's Waldo? Well, this week, China watchers continue to ask, 
Where's former foreign minister King Gang? Apparently, there is a rumor afoot that his photo is still hanging in certain buildings and reflect his status as the former foreign minister. I think one of the places where his photo continues to hang is apparently in the embassy in the United States here in Washington, D.C. And on the subject of China, we just can't get away from China. But it's hard to know what work will be for the 12,000 lawyers and hundreds of law firms that have enjoyed a lot of lucrative work in Hong Kong since China's move to exert greater influence over Hong Kong has caused this blurring of corporate lines. And it's placed law firms in kind of a pickle because they're having a more difficult time determining whether China is behind any given private firm. So listeners might recall that China banned foreign law firms from working on what are, quote, national security cases. And if you just heard from Brian Egan, what is involves national security in China is kind of everything, right? So these law firms were banned after a Hong Kong mogul hired a UK barrister to defend him on what was called a national security charge. Just in case you're tracking, among the firms who have been dropped from Chinese state-owned enterprises, one is Mayor Brown, sort of an august firm. And that was after this firm represented the University of Hong Kong when it was asked to remove a memorial to the 1989 Tiananmen Square massacre. And shout out to my friend Eden Forsyth, whose mother survived those events. British firm Denton's, which is, you know, a big, also seems to be scaling back operations. And Davis Polk apparently chopped the number of lawyers that they had there from 75 to 67. This is not insignificant if you're tracking sort of law firm goings on. So what did Dick the Butcher say when he was discussing how Jack Cade would unseat King Henry? You remember Shakespeare, right? I'll give you a hint. First, they wanted everyone to be ignorant since ignorant people were easier to control and subdue. So they wanted to kill anyone who could read and they wanted to burn all the books and the documents that they encountered. I know you read this play, so I'm expecting you to remember every detail. And they wanted to make absolutely sure that no one could assert their rights. So Dick added, as you recall, the first thing we do, let's kill all the lawyers, or at least let's run them out of Hong Kong. Before we sign off, we wanted to continue our short segment, which we've been calling America the Unified. 1973 was an interesting year because Republican President Richard Nixon then called for sweeping changes to environmental policy. And he worked with Democratic Representative John Dingell and Senator Harrison Williams. They worked with their Republican colleagues to draft the Endangered Species Act of 1973. Now, interestingly, when this act was first passed, the context in which it was discussed at the time was that it was intended to protect plants, invertebrates, and ecosystems on which humanity depends. Imagine that conversation today. It would be really nice. Something to think about in a time when America's differences may pose its actual greatest national security threat. Hey, thanks for joining us tonight. Our guest has been Brian Egan of Scatton Arps. Please remember to subscribe to NSLT on your listening app of choice. And if you really like us, rate us. It certainly helps move us up in terms of searches on all podcast platforms. You can contact us with feedback. You can find us on Twitter, now known as X, but you don't have to call it that if you're kind of sick of it and you think that's silly. You can find us at ABA NatSec, or you can do 
the unthinkable, which is simply email us at nationalsecurityatamericanbar.org. Please share this cast with a friend, and when you do, have a civilized and intelligent conversation. Our producer and writer is me, Elisa Poteet, always here in my individual capacity. Francis Berkham is our editor and my co-producer. Rebecca Salito is our program manager. My other co-producer is Holly McMahon, along with all the amazing leaders of the Standing Committee on Law and National Security. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. The views expressed on national security law today have not been approved by the House of Delegates or the Board of Governors of the American Bar Association, and this recording should not be construed as representing ABA policies.